At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to SawCast number 28. Today we're rejoined by Lynn M. Black Jr., the first, the one and the only. The last podcast on SawCast number 27. If you haven't seen it yet, I encourage you to please do so. Again, both of these are brought to you courtesy of Jocko Willink Productions. And because we have so many other stories besides the historic mission of October the 5th, we asked Staff Sergeant Lynn Black if he'd rejoin us. He's kind enough to come back to the to the hotel, and here we are. Um, Lynn, welcome back. Thank you. It's been a long time. Yes, it has. <laughs> what, 50-something years? At least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, there are so many other stories that we haven't talked about, and um, I would like to talk a little bit about some of the serious stuff, but there's also always in combat – and the spec ops are little sidebars in life that are sometimes interesting. And, of course, we, if you don't mind, I like to build just a little bit more on the legend of Lynn and Black, the great self-experimenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's start off with the more serious one first because, um, you know, on the, one of the missions, the most dangerous missions of all are Bright Light. And uh, when I came back to uh, CCN <clears throat> at the end of October, um, when you and I sat down and got caught up, one of, the, one of the things we talked about was previous missions within the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. You, RT Idaho, had just done two back-to-back bright lights that were just brutal. And, and the second one was extra amazing on several different levels. So... Around or about October the 5th, the Frenchman goes back. One year tour of duty, and he was your favorite 1-1. And he goes back to the United States and uh, back to headquarters of Fort Bragg. But you pushed on. And um, you're in transition. They came up with a mission for a bright light. Well, no, the first bright light, you and Doug ran, which was one of his, if not his last mission. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> And it's funny how over the years it's never quite clear even where the mission was. 
but yeah. it was a bright light. Right. So um, as we talked about it on the ground, and Doug had relayed a little bit in the Jocko podcast number 186, he talked about the people headquarters came in, said, hey, we got a bright light. We need you guys. Came to you. You're the one zero. Mm-hmm. Can you have a team ready shortly? <clears throat> of course, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You and Doug suit up. And at first, we thought it might be out of country, but regardless of the situation, was it a, a Bronco or an O2? I thought it was a Bronco. And there are, there are a, a, a Bronco, the pilot and co-pilot or navigator or what the heck ever they are, sit side by side. No, they're stacked. The O2 that, is. Okay, good. That, perfect. That's what we, it was a Bronco. Okay. Okay? Yeah, because the pilot sits up high. Yes. Yeah. And and uh, the whatever the other guy's called, uh, the navigator or whatever, is, yeah. is, sits down front. Yeah, the gunner. And the, yeah, and they had they had run into the uh, side of a mountain. Okay, and it, and uh, the whole front end of the ship was caved in, and the 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 guy in the front was was uh, completely the whole front of the ship. He had just integrated into it. The only thing really left of him that much was his shoulders, upper upper chest, shoulders, and head. And uh, the the uh, pilot, uh, his his harness worked, but it looked like he had broken his neck, and he was just he was just sitting there. But they they were both dead. Uh, when we when they'd been down for by the by the time we got out there, they'd been down maybe an hour. And uh, and uh, we took fire going in, a lot of fire, and the object was to try to get them out. At the time, we didn't know what their condition was. And uh, uh, we, we, we got on the ground under fire. There were uh, six of us on, on the team at the time, is, is, is my memory. And the, 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 the four Vietnamese set up, a, set up a perimeter trying to hold back, you know, Right. The fire, and Doug and I climbed up on the on the Bronco and took the canopy off, and we were trying to get these guys out and and strip it of any any kind of maps or intel or and dog tags, personal information and stuff like that, and we and all the time I'm I'm talking uh, to uh, Cubby, and I told him there's no way we can get these guys out of here. You if if. If they're going to come out, it's got to be the whole ship to come out. And, and at that point, the end, we could see the NVA closing in on us, and they were they were shooting the shit out of us. I mean, there was uh, a lot of bullet holes in that in that plane, and they were all all around us. And it was it was funny to watch Doug because he was just so calm during the whole thing, and the crap going on, stuff flying around him, and stuff like that. <laughs> Finally, I says, it, "It's it's time to go home. We can't get these guys out." And so. Uh, we got back on the helicopter and, and we got out of there and they uh, they uh, they pulled you out of strings, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. That's when we had the A one going. Oh them. yeah, 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 that's 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 that, that's right. And and they and they uh, uh, napalmed it. Yes. And and completely just dis- completely destroyed it. And we and we we got out of there and went back and. Wow. Yeah. Because on that target, I remember from Doug's version. The incoming. Oh yeah, it was. It was intense. It was intense, very intense. All that time. Yeah, and how nobody on the team got hit, I have no idea. I mean, you you could see it was so intense, you could literally see the tracers in the air, 
and it it was yeah it was it was like kind of like October fifth in that <laughs> you you could see all that stuff you know as it as it passed through the ship. And, you like that one line you had like the air was green with tracers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, and we just kind of walked through it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so just as a, as you're coming out on strings. For some reason, I think Doug's may have been lower. For some yeah, reason, yeah, he always had issues when he came out on strings, yeah, upside down or inside well, out. Well, or Doug something. was a really lightweight, skinny kind of guy, right? Yeah, he passed for it in a ditch. Yeah, no kidding. And <laughs> but his, but he carried a heavy rucksack, which when you put him on a string, yeah, he had, had a tendency to flip him upside down. Right. Yeah, and he's he was always doing it, landing on his head when we came back. You know. <laughs> letting him down on the string. Yeah. So uh, on that one, as you're coming out, an A1 Skyrate had come underneath yeah, oh, for the yeah, napalm run. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting day. <laughs> it, it, we we were sad we we that we couldn't get those guys oh, out yeah. of there. Yeah. It's a heartache. I mean, you know, you got two Americans. Yeah. That died supporting us. Yeah. Oh my God. And then, um, within. At least two weeks of that mission, or shortly thereafter, Doug goes home. You're on the team. Um, you were you with RT Idaho were at the launch site, and I was like, were you there at the official Bright Light team yeah. or not? Okay, yeah, because yeah. they had rotational duty right. on Bright Light by '69. Right. We were at Mylock. Mylock, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I. Rem- That's even worse than Quang Tree. Oh no, kidding. So you remember the tents at Mylock? Oh yeah. Yeah, they were just solid mold because it was so wet there. <laughs> yeah. And you're trying to sleep on one of those those cots, those humpback cots they had, right? right? And and all you're doing is breathing in that mold. And you can hear everybody going, <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, it's time to go to work. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can I please go on a mission? Yeah. Oh, get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so the call comes in. There had been a hatchet force on the ground for several days. Yep. Engaged the enemy, heavy contact. The hatchet force uh, commander was a lieutenant, first lieutenant David Gordon, and they were able to, over the course of time that day, extract t- all the team members from the hatchet force, mm-hmm. except for the last helicopter out, which would right. have been Dave Jordan, and um, I believe he had a couple in Ditch and a sergeant. Right. Who he had ordered to leave on the previous helicopter, right. who declined, right. stayed behind. Helicopter gets, ex- as it's moving out with them, it crashes. Right. Throws him out. The helicopter lands near him, breaks his back. Right. So somehow they crawl away from that scene. RT Idaho gets the call for the bright light. Yep. You're the one zero. You get the team rallied up. And this you is get all a, at night, by the way. At night. Yeah. Indeed. And this yeah. is at a time when. Nobody in SOG is running night missions of any sort. Nobody's running night missions, and nobody will fly at night. Right. Yeah. So a couple of King Bee pilots went, we'll fly. And that was one was Captain On. That's right. Because Captain On, in his interview in Jocko Podcast number 259, he talked about how he'd been flying SOG missions for so long that he knew the terrain. Mm Mm-hmm. He knew the, a lot of the area of the uh, AO. Yeah. And so that was how that mission came to him. And at first you thought you may have to repel at night. Right. But somehow On was able to get explain it better than I. Well, he took yeah, you in we, and... There was the, uh, where the helicopter crashed uh, that, that, that came down. It cleared out an area big enough for him to put the King Bee down. And he, he put the put a tire down right on right on top of that 
uh, chopper that was rolled over on its yeah. side full of bodies, and we were able to jump out onto the uh, cab of the helicopter and then go down and, you know, get get on the ground from that point. Yeah. Yeah, and it was all, the ground was just, wait a minute, Vines is what they were. Oh, yeah. Stickers. Oh, that, yeah. You know, it, it was it was like uh, blackberry vines that you, you had to wade through, but they, they were like uh, knee-high and, and lower, and they just... It, Tear your clothes up. The it, most hated vegetation in oh Southeast God, Asia. Oh God, yeah. Other than, I yeah, hate those things. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. God, it, full of full of weird animals <laughs> and uh, and bugs that make weird noises and and fireflies that that rise up and you and you think that somebody turned the lights on. I, in the I'm going to make a note about bugs with odd sounds, but let's continue oh, with this oh, mission. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Got it. So so. Uh, yeah, fi- finally we we uh, we 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 kind of I, I I left I left a couple of guys. I had a medic with me that we picked up in Mylock. And uh, Ron Williams. Yes, and we 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 uh, I left him and one of one of our guys at 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 the chopper to kind of go through and see if there was anybody alive in in the chopper. And uh, the others of us went out and started reconning around, trying to circle out into an ever bigger circle, trying to find the survivors, right? Right. And we're trying to be quiet. And uh, We're at night. You're in the dead of night in in the the jungle. Yeah, in a wait a minute, Vines, and you fall down, and and you hear you're cussing about every two minutes. You son of a bitch, I'm going to trip over that goddamn vine. And that that kind of stuff. And, And finally, we hear this. Hey, we're over here. We're over here, right? And finally, after that, I said, "Oh, okay, they're over here, right?" So, so we get lined up. And the next thing I know, Williams, the medic, is right on. He's right on my shoulder. I said, "Okay, we'll go over there." And we, and we. Walked. He startled you a little bit too, because he moved so quietly. In the yeah, oh, scared the crap out of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I, I must have screamed like a little girl. And <laughs> and we and and we got out there, and I and. He's, I said, where are you? And I hear this voice, but it's below me. And I go, what the hell? And like I said, it's dark, and I can't see a damn thing, right? Yeah. And I goes, where are you? He says, I'm down here. And I said, like, down where? He said, you're up above me. I said, no shit. <laughs> he said, be careful of the, just as I stepped off the damn cliff, and it, it was about eight feet down to oh, where no. they were. Yeah, and all these wait a minute violence, and I buried myself in these damn oh. things, right? And I'm and I'm and I'm cussing, and he gets you got to be quiet. There's a lot of envy. Well, let's screw the envy. <laughs> and meanwhile, Pat Watkins is flying around. He goes, he says, I'm I'm working assets over here about a couple miles away, thinking that this is where where to get him to think this is where you had to try to draw them out of your area, which which worked pretty good actually. Really? Yeah. It it drew them off. Mandolin. And yeah, yeah, it was a genius play on his part, and and so we finally got untangled, and the guys came down, and and we got everybody kind of patched up and stuff, and yeah, and uh, the the helicopters came in, and we put them on strings, and out out they went. Uh, it yeah, it was it, we 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 got out of there. I think it was about midnight when we when we got out. Wow. And then the next morning we went back in. And uh, took body bags with us, and we got uh, all the guys that were in the chopper and stuff like that 
uh, from 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 the previous day, and then a flying crane came. Oh, and and, and uh, they said we got a flying crane come in, right? Yeah, that's and they're an- going to pick the chopper up <clears throat> and they're going to take it back, right? Because it's we we can save the engines and all this kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. right? Spare parts. Well, so the flying crane shows up and he goes, I I I can't I I, I can't get down there. There's a, there's a big tree in the middle of where I need to land. So <laughs> so. I got to haul out C4 <laughs> and blow, blow an LZ down, right? <laughs> and this tree was huge. It was like one of those big banyan trees you oh, see. Yeah. That's, it, just, I mean, it took five guys to put their arms around, right? And, no. and put C4 in all the crevices and strung, uh, strung debt cord between it and took the whole thing down. Boop. Bam, down, down it went. went. Yeah. The crane came in, we hooked that chopper up, and they jerked it out, and we went home. Wow. Yeah. Didn't, wasn't there some discussion earlier with the lieutenant that oh, had tagged yeah, along? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, you're going to make me tell that part, huh? I was try, <laughs> trying to give the guy a break. Well, we can give the so, guy a break if you want, but. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, so, so the next morning when we went to go back in, there was this lieutenant that showed up at Mylock, and he, and, and he said, I'm taking over the team. Now, I'm, at the time, I was in E6 right then. Yeah. And I, and I said, no, you're, no, you're not going to do that. The one, the one zero is a one zero. And, and we're standing in the middle of the talk, and we, we got into this argument, and there was a lot of profanity going back and forth, and tells me I'm going to go to jail for 20 years and all this shit, right? No. Oh, yeah, the guy got, he was really huffy about this. And uh, finally, Clyde Sincere steps in. And he, he says to the lieutenant, he's the one zero, you're a strap hanger, and your job, pointing to the lieutenant, is to take that tree down. I said, great, wonderful. How are you going to do it, right? And he said, I have the most powerful explosive in the world. I said, what? I'm thinking C4. Maybe he, a nuke? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said, what's that? And he says, tetratol. And Ooh. so... Tetratol, knowing knowing that 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 tree has got really thick bark on it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, tetratol is a hard explosive, a cast explosive like like TNT, right? And you can't form it in any way. And he said, "I'm just I'm going to drape it around the tree, and then I'm going to set it off." I said, "If if that's not going to work," I said, "If you do that, all you're going to do is blow the bark <laughs> off that tree." Well, that's we got out there, and we got up to that tree, and he he put his tetratol on the tree, and that's a, he debarked that tree. It was perfect, <laughs> and he was standing there with this look on his face, like, "Oh crap, what am I going to do now?" Well, before we left my luck, I had uh, said said to Hip, I said, "Go get seventy five pounds of plastic and distribute it amongst the team. Yeah. Every, everybody gets it, right?" <laughs> and we molded the plastic into, into it and I climbed up into it and put a kicker charge up up, up on it which really? you, you do a cut and then an explosion and it blows it down in the direction you want it to go very good yeah and and that's that's how we got the tree down <laughs> unbelievable I thought I was going to jail <laughs> you know and think about that yes what a safe place that'd be <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody that shoots at you. Well, you get three hots and a cot. Indeed. 
Well, I think that you thinking about going to jail reminds me of another time you went to jail for a really fascinating uh, wiretap story. Oh, God. That um, we never got around to talk about much publicly, but... Did we? Uh, Didn't we talk uh, about that? We may have, but never like in front of a camera for a book. Oh, really? Not yet. Okay. That's why we're here today, man. Uh, okay, so wire wiretap mission. So you did a wiretap. Yeah. RT Idaho dashes in, taps these phone lines, yeah. brings back a lot of re- re- uh, intel, yeah. hands it off, and uh, what, a day or two later, somebody, or was it a week later you said first? About a week later, yeah. I get, About a week I later. Get, I get called in after Saigon has processed it, right? I get and they called said into you, the camp commander's office. Say, thank you, Lind. I, I thought I was being promoted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was fired, and I was no longer a one zero, and and my new job was up on top of case on post, you know, for the rest of my career in that. And they are also going to disband Idaho. Uh, they were going to disband and, and put everybody on other teams and stuff like that because they were experienced people, right? Yeah, yeah. So our good friend, David R. Maurer first. David Maurer. They give him the wiretap mission, thinking, now, David's really a smart one zero. He knows what he's doing. We'll send him out to the field unlike Black, that idiot, right? <laughs> and he'll run the wiretap mission. So he goes out, and he does. He did basically the same thing that we did. He put, put on this wiretap, but he's, you know, he is smarter than I am. Because what he did was he took a headset with him, right? <laughs> and he plugged it into the Panasonic tape recorder, and he was he went, what the hell is this, right? And what was so it? So they recorded about 20 minutes of Beatles music. which On was the be- NVA? On the NVA combo lines for 2,000 miles down the Ho Chi Minh Trail from Bintram to Bintram. They, they were playing Beatles music. It's a hard day's night, you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah. So <laughs> so I got that he, he comes back, Saigon listens to that, Dave explains what happened, right? And this this King Bee shows up at Quezon and they say, Pack your pack your gear. <laughs> you you got to go back to work. <laughs> you go back to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've been lounging around up here on the top of this. And mountain. the only way you found out what the truth of the matter wasn't like anybody who fired you came by to, to apologize. Uh, no, you no. had to see your fellow. Uh, of course, you and Dave are unique in solid history too because you both served prior. Right. And he was in the first cab at the yeah. historic battle of the Idrang Valley. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, you weren't far behind. Right. But there you were. He saved your bacon. Yeah. And the teams, for that matter. Yep. Absolutely. So you didn't go to jail. No. 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 (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving right along, sir. There were some other stories that um, I really wanted to talk to you about. And, of course, a lot of, over time, we've talked about experimental weapons yeah you know and I think that uh, this is kind of like we could build your reputation for self-experimentation which is very much a, a, a main concern today you want to but, make sure everybody understands I'm a total <laughs> dumbass when it comes to this stuff right <laughs> well you won't endanger anybody else you'll take the first <laughs> knockout punch yourself <laughs> pretty good at the team <laughs> but uh you had some experience with the um, seismic probes. Now, that wasn't very intense, but this is like, again, some of the things that SOG teams were given during the course of the right, eight-year secret right, war. Right, right, And so how do these seismic probes work? So the, this was 
new technology that they wanted to test out. State they, of the fart. The what? <laughs> I mean, state of the art. <laughs> yeah. So a, a seismic probe was maybe uh, four or five inches yeah. long, with and it, it would look like a spike on one end, and it had a had a dial on the top of it, so you could set the sensitivity of it. it had right. a battery inside, and if you if you put number one in the ground, and you you've got a, a receiver, it, it it's it's a transmitter, and if it if it's number one. The one zero had an air jack that went into a receiver in, in his pocket, and uh, if somebody tried to walk up to you, that seismic device would hear those footsteps for up up to a hundred feet away. Hundred feet? Yeah, and and you would and and it would go beep, and then seismic probe number two was beep beep. Well, so there were four of them. Then the fourth one, of course, being four beeps. And the idea was to put those around your, your RON area where you rest overnight, right? Where you mm-hmm. were trying to hide at the end of the day. And it would be like a security perimeter. Well, we did that. We took them out and we, and we did that. And we were, we were laying in the grass out there. And uh, all of a sudden, in the middle of the friggin' night, all four of them came off, and we every, everybody. I went, oh shit! And everybody went on a mad minute, <laughs> fired 360 degrees at ground level, thinking we were being surrounded. Right? Yeah, yeah. And what had happened was that we were in a grassy area, and the wind had come up, and the gra- the wind moving the grass caused those that activated no. the seismic probes. <laughs> And so we just let the enemy know where we were in the middle of the friggin' night, right? And so when we got out of there the next morning... Uh, Promptly. Yeah. <laughs> took the seismic probes and put them on Captain O'Burden's desk and said, you can keep these things because <laughs> I'm never going to use them in the field again, right? Thank you, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Nice going, buddy. So a little while later, and this is like maybe weeks or so, Captain Mike calls me into his office, and he says, I want to show you something. Oh, God, here we go again, right? And he says, remember these? And I said, no, you know, you're not going to get me to use this. He goes, we've made some changes to it. And I said, that's nice. <laughs> he says, no, no, here's what we're going to do. He said, there's a little wire here. He says, you get to plug these into a claymore. And he said, you've got one minute to get the hell away from that thing so you don't set it off. And he said, if, you, if you're being chased, you, pl- you lay your claymore down, plug, the, plug that thing in and turn it on and deedy mow out of the area. And he said, the enemy will come along and set it off and you'll be gone. Well, it worked. And it worked like a charm. Really? Except don't do it on windy days, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or in high grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so so that that was kind of an improvement. You know, first you fail and then you succeed, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't get killed in the, in the interim, process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, you had some experiments with some rockets and some, some... Oh, yeah, the gyrojet pistol. Gyrojets. Yeah, I love that gun, didn't you? Yeah, so... You know, we tried it with Rick Howard, you and me. Yeah, yeah. I got scurries pretty quick with it. Me too. <laughs> but you're the weapons guy. I'm just a common. I geek. know. Well, a weapons guy. You know, we can we can do anything. We, we you know, weapons rules the world, right? <laughs> so we got this weapon, and and it, for those people who don't know what a gyrojet was, it's a 50 caliber rocket round. That's that is uh, 
which you insert in into a magazine. I think it I think it held six rounds, if I remember right. It's about the, the rocket rounds are about that long, and uh, it'll break the sound barrier kind of stuff. And <laughs> and uh, we were practicing with it at FOB one, and what we did is we took a four four inch by twelve inch plank and we set it up in a trench right and we were standing back about 20 feet or so and we were shooting these 50 caliber rocket rounds through this thing just wow that is amazing and it and because it was a rocket what you hear is almost as good as a silencer yeah it's an amazing we 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 started thinking that part of it was amazing yeah it was like wow we could do pow snatches you know all this kind of stuff right just thinking 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 well always the board, the, the timber fell over into the trench. Then I had the gun in my hand, so I stuck it in my belt. And I walked over to the trench, and I straddled it, and I reached down to pick up that timber, and the gun fell out, and it went Ooh. off. And it hit me. I was wearing a web belt with a metal belt buckle, and it yeah. hit me on that belt buckle, lifted me up off the ground, <laughs> the 50 caliber rocket round, and slammed me down. And I had a bruise on my stomach about... A foot wide for a month after that thing. That 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 hurt. Ooh. I never took it to the field. Uh, it didn't have a safety on it, if I remember rightly. It did. I don't and, think so. And I wasn't a particularly a safe kind of guy to start with, so I <laughs> said to heck with it. <laughs> so was that before or after you worked with the experimental napalm gun? Oh, that was uh, that was uh, before that. I mean, I. I stopped screwing. You around. hadn't really hit the groove yeah, yet. That, yeah, that, yeah. I had. I wasn't in full stride quite yet. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that happened at FOB one, and then uh, the the napalm gun thing happened down at uh, CCN at Da Nang. And one day I was in supply, uh, getting some magazines and some ammunition, and a supply guy went, "Hey, we got this new experimental weapon. You might like to try this, right?" <laughs> so it's an aluminum tube. It was about this long, and it had a plastic thing on on one end of it, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, "And he said, here are the instructions for this." So I take this thing in, a, in its box and the instructions, and I go back to the hooch, you know, and I hauled the instructions out to read how to, you know, you. A good weapons guy always reads the instructions. You know, can you can you take it apart? Can you clean it? How does it fire? How does it function? Right? It's in Japanese. Oh and, no! Oh yeah! I, oh my God! So so I so being a good weapons guy that I am, I'm looking at this thing, looking at this thing. I, okay, I know how it works, right? It's it's this plastic thing. Looked, it's got a, like a little pin that looks like a hinge, right? Uh-huh. And there's a and there's a pull pin on it. It must be a safety of some kind. Of, okay, cool. Yeah. So we go out on the range, and there's uh, the, the medic was. Uh, Shipley? Oh, no, John T. Walton the first. John Walton, that's right. Indeed, our favorite that's medic. Right. So the team's out there, and the team's – so we, we run through our immediate action drills, you know, like you usually do and stuff. And, and then I said, I want to try this out. So everybody <laughs> backed up. You know, I mean, they backed up, right? So I've got this thing in my hand. I've got, okay, so you – Pull down, pull down on this. Oh, yeah, it creates like a grip for a yeah. gun, right? And when I pulled the pin, this little trigger popped out. I went, cool. Yeah, it's a napalm gun. All right. So I aimed it out at the, <laughs> at the edge of the mountain, and I pulled the trigger, and I watched that aluminum tube swell up. <laughs> and it went off. And I'm inside this fireball. It must have been no like, projectile. There, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> And there's, I'm inside of this fireball, which, which if, if you know how, how fire works, it, bur- it, it, it burns all of the air inside of it, right? Right. 
Well, it sucked all the air out of my lungs, <laughs> flipped me over on on my back, and set my clothes on fire. Right, no. and I'm and I'm laying there on oh, no. I'm laying there on the range, and I remember I was looking up, going ah, <laughs> trying to breathe, and Walton walked over and he looked up and looked down at me and he says, "Well, that dumb son of a bitch finally killed himself." <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> With that Southern Arkansas draw. Oh, yeah. It was a god. So much for the napalm gun. I, there, it, it turned out there was a cap on the end of it that I didn't take off. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. What happens when the instructions are in Japanese? I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, look, um, change it to another topic that's of interest. You had some interesting off book missions. Mm-hmm. And the one that, I've, that I learned about today in our having early morning coffee as we got sharpened for these interviews um, was the one where you worked with the Navy up in the DMZ. Mm-hmm. And you helped them work some new firepower or firepower mm-hmm. that you use for a target in the DMZ. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't new firepower. It, was, it come up from a naval gunship, but it was uh, it, it, the, and don't forget the dream part. Uh, well, that, that's what I was going to say. That, that this mission got me and does more even more trouble because the uh, the guy who was the one one at the time, his name oh, I'm not going to mention. Yeah, we won't. Okay, uh, uh, thought I had gone insane. Literally insane. Yeah, and he really believed. A lot it. of people thought that. Uh, well, me too. But actually. few people acted on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did. So, <laughs> so, uh, and and he did that after this mission, by the way, which I never understood because, uh, so we we I was running targets. I I had picked twenty four targets along the DMC, and this was the first mission, and it was it was almost right on the China Sea. And the reason why you picked those targets was because there had been oh, a series okay. of problems there beforehand. Yeah, well, the, you know, the NVA were always trying to come across the DMZ sure. in, into South Vietnam, right? And so the, the Marine Corps had been up there, and the Marine Corps had been nasty battles up yeah, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the 101st had been up there, and they got run out. And so, uh, and there were reports uh, that there was a lot of still a lot of activity in the DMZ, so so I just kind of went from the China Sea across the DMZ into Laos with 24 different targets and said, let's let's see what we can find out where their strength. And this is. is your intel yeah. pre pre brief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I uh, I researched the heck out of it in the Tactical Operations Center to see what was going on. Yeah, right? and designed these targets and and. Uh, we got assets, and we didn't. We didn't tell Saigon because we knew there was a problem in Saigon, with you know that there was something going on when the enemy. You and I talked about it many times. Yep. Sent yep. reports to Saigon. When you were down in Saigon, you filed a formal verbal complaint with uh, yep. Colonel Cavanaugh. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we 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 landed on this first mission, and uh, we were uh, we were up on the, we were up on the side of this hill. It was almost last light when we when we finally got on the ground. And so we we uh, circled up in an RON to place you know to stay for the night, and uh, everybody went to you know sleep except for the guards, and you you rotate that out of course. Right. And I had this dream, and the dream was that we had gone down this hill we were on, and there's a stream below us, and I knew on the map from map studies there was a stream down there, and went went up the other went up oh and there were NVA that were getting water out of the out of the stream, and and and. Uh, the NVA went away, and then we went up the hill on the other side, stopped the team, 
and then went over just just looked over the crest with one of the, one of the uh, the point man and there were three huts down there and this is all in my dream and the these huts the roofs moves roofs moved back and they had anti-aircraft guns in it and they and they were beginning to fire on uh, bombing missions in into North Vietnam it's fire in, on our aircraft yeah, fire on north. our aircraft so this is all a dream right yeah so you dream shit like that. You think, well, you know, you've been here too long already, and you, yeah. it's probably time you should you should quit doing this kind of stuff <laughs> or start writing books. Yeah, yeah, do something like that. So, so I I made the mistake of telling my assistant team leader, the one one, about this dream, right? And he looked at me, and he just shook his head, right? He was like, "Oh man, what is wrong with you?" You know. So we go, you know, we we eat and get our weapons ready and gear up and we go down this hill we hit the stream and there's stopped at the stream and looked down and there's the nva getting water out of the stream and we're going oh there's deja vu right right they they move out and we go up we go up the hill i stop the team just before the crest look over the hill, look look over and there's three huts circular yeah and they start and no. they, they the tops move aside now, this is weird right and if you want to get into some really weird stuff, let me talk to you about the guy that showed up on the LZ okay. in the white robes. So if you, if you think that, you think this is crazy, I'm I guarantee you, this down. is certifiable. White, white robes on the LZ, got yeah. it. So, so, <laughs> so, 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 they, so they start firing. I called up Covey and I said, hey, here's what's going on. And those huts, by the way, were on the map that we had. How could, that's amazing. They, exactly. So, and I think it was because they were so close to the coast, right? Okay. So, so Covey says there's there's no assets in the area, but I can hook you up with the Navy. There's a there's a gunship off off offshore, and maybe sure. they can they can help us. Well, it's, this this Navy ship, and don't ask me which one because I don't know. They said, "Oh wow, we get to shoot our guns, right?" So we get a fire mission. So we give them the grid coordinates, and they said, "We're we're we'll fire a check round." And then we'll adjust fire from there. Well, they they fired that weapon. You hear this boom, and you hear this Volkswagen bus coming through the air, and then boom. Is that, is that those, similar to the New Jersey when they fired the oh, sixteen-inch guns? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and those huts just disappeared. And the guy said, "Okay, what what next?" I said, "They're gone." And the guy says. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we, we've been wanting to shoot these guns. We sit out here offshore. We never get to shoot our guns, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so when we got back to camp, my 1-1 one, one goes in and reports through the medics who reported up the chain that I'm out dreaming in the field. Oh. Right? About what's, you know, precognition yeah. or what the hell ever you call it, right? And, and uh, so I get called into the commander's office and he says we're we're, we're going to send you in we're going to send you to china beach for an evaluation and you may wind up in the nut ward at uh, at sasebo japan right and and it just the whole thing just kind of disappeared oh my God. After, after that so the other the other story about it, yeah okay so Dreaming is bad enough, so everybody knows about this, right? Yeah. And they're going, Black's been there too long. So he's been here two and a half years now, and, <laughs> and it, maybe it's time for him to go home. <laughs> so this was, what, this was actually a mission I ran with Doug Letourneau, and we were, we'd been chased and stuff, and we were finally, they, uh, uh, a slick came in to pick us up we're on the LZ, 
and and being the one zero, you're always the last guy on there, right? Yeah. So half the team's on there, and everybody's headed for it to board, and I'm headed for the ship, and I I look at the nose of the ship, and then I look over, and in my peripheral vision, I see this old man, and he's in long white robes what? with a white beard, and he points to the bushes, and he points like that. And when I went to look, and he's in my peripheral vision, right? And when I went to look at him, there's nobody there. So I opened fire, and there were people in the bushes. Whoa. Well, this is the first time I've ever told this story. Yes, indeed. For good reason, (laughs) right? And I saw him one other time. And it was, yeah, and, and I knew at that point that I'd been there, uh, that was about four months before my tour was up. I said, I'm not re-enlisting. I'm going to go home, and I'm just, I'm going to chill out because I'm, I'm beginning to see things, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my It got God. to be a little weird. But it worked. It, 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 every time. Whatever the hell you saw, it yeah. worked. Yeah, yeah. It was like the guy was my guardian angel or something, you know? With a beard on white robe. yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So that could years, be the title of your next book, man. Years later, you can get spiritual on me. <laughs> years later, I'm at a community college, uh-huh. and I was I was uh, uh, given a talk on printmaking, and one of the students had this uh, big book of Leonardo da Vinci, oh. and she opened up this book, and here was this lithograph. Or, uh, uh, or not? It was actually a drawing mm-hmm. that a self-portrait of Leonardo da Vinci. It no. looked exactly like the guy that I saw in my peripheral vision, and I just went, "Oh God, it's not over." Yeah, but it, think about the movie. It could be Lin and Leonardo. That's <laughs> yeah. got a nice ring to it. So Lin and Leonardo. So now that we're in the middle of this podcast, any credibility that you thought I had, Finito is Benito, just shot. That's yeah. okay, but we we deal with you know. With plausible truths that may stretch yeah. the truth just a little so, bit. So all of the rumors are true. We now know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look. Um, as you mentioned there, one of the things we haven't talked about was, um, um, in your book, you detailed uh, um, your early days in the army. Mm-hmm. But uh, we haven't talked to our audience about your history a little bit about how you grew up in Oregon with an interesting black traditions there from uncles and aunts and things. Mm-hmm. And then um, you and your brother eventually become members of the 173rd Airborne. Yeah. And uh, so just backtrack a little bit how all this started with you. So my my dad worked on, uh, he was the paymaster for Guy F. Atkinson, Morrison, Knudsen, who was responsible for building the majority of the uh, hydroelectric dams on the Columbia River. Really? So as those dams were being built, about every two or three years we would move move around and we've uh, we lived uh, uh, all up and down uh, the uh, the Columbia uh, Northern California the dam there are big earth filled dams that were built there uh, and in uh, on the on the uh, Tootle River at uh, um, oh god uh, at the base of Mount St. Helens okay that, yeah. that, that big dam that was there <clears throat> and then finally he, he retired and we we moved to Seattle and uh uh, 
so if I if I get off course here, just kind of drag me back. I'll drag okay? you back quickly. Don't okay. worry. So that's why so, you paid the big bucks? So yeah. So so uh, I I was as a kid I was always drawing and you know painting with weird stuff and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when we moved to Seattle, they had like the Seattle Art Museum, and I got to go there and got real excited about about that kind of stuff. And Frederick and Nelson's had a had a huge art contest every every summer where artists of all ages from kindergarten on up to professional artists. So for us East Coast people, what's yeah. what's Frederick's and it, it's a it's a department or was a department store. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, 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 they had a lot of community and involvement and were very involved in the arts, theater and ballet and 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 all of that. And uh, so I, I submitted a, 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 a line drawing uh, that I did of a, of a farmer uh, in uh, uh, Hood River, Oregon, who's where, where there's a lot of fruit trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had, uh, I had taken his picture with a brownie camera, and then I did a drawing, drawing from it and uh, did the line drawing and then uh, used coffee to uh, stain in his face in the background and, and uh, black <laughs> shoe polish for his hair and that kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, it won, it won a big prize. It won a blue ribbon for that. And, and, uh, then, and then right after that, I got, uh, when I was 15, got hired into um, uh, KOMO-TV in Channel 4. Yes, indeed. In Seattle. <laughs> And learned learned how to uh, paint scenery to start with, and then I learned how to design scenery at age fifteen. Yeah, at age fifteen, yeah, and I worked there all all the way through until I graduated high school when I was eighteen. Uh, and uh, uh, the one just before I graduated, the the station manager called me in, and all and most of the guys that worked in the station were World War II and Korea War veterans. Oh, and he said. You need to go do your duty for your country. Really? And he, yeah. And and he said, so pick a military service and your job will be here when you get back. Right. So I wow. I, I graduated from from high school and and uh, I thought I was going to take a couple weeks off. And my parents showed up in my bedroom one morning and they said, if you're going to live here, you're going to pay rent. Right. <laughs> well, I. I, I, I went, what? No, I can't do that. And they said, well, then you need to find some other place to live, right? Ooh. And it, it, no, it's not a bad thing. All yeah, good no. parents, if it's time to kick the kid out and he's going to make his own way, right, in life. Indeed. You have a good job, get the hell out of here, right? Go live your life. So I went downtown to the Army recruiter. It's kind of a funny story. and uh, uh, Which is detailed brilliantly in... Whiskey tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the the recruiter was an E six, and he said, "So, what's going on with you?" And yada yada. I went to basic training at Fort Ord, and then I got picked for the advanced leadership course, and at at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and then I went through AIT and became uh, went into tanks. And you right? had to convince the guy you're 18 years old, though. Oh, I was 18. I know you were, but yeah. I say you had to. Oh convince yeah, I looked him. like a little kid. Yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> and so, and so. <laughs> Tank driving time, right? You learn how to drive an M48 tank. So here's here's this Ooh. 60-ton tank, right? So I get in the driver's seat, and the tank commander's sitting up there, the instructor. He's sitting in a turret, and he says, okay, start it up. And we'd learned in class how to do all this stuff, so I started it up. Put it in gear and backed the tank up over a three-foot retaining wall right on top <laughs> of the company commander's Jeep. <laughs> 
And the tank commander said, where the hell did you learn how to drive? And I said, this is the first motorized vehicle I ever drove in my life. <laughs> he said, you're driving, you're driving a tank? <laughs> how am I doing? Well, I, I didn't get certified as a driver. So <laughs> they made me a loader. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, right. So oh, times so, are tough. So we're getting yeah yeah. So uh, we're getting ready to graduate from from uh, AIT, and along comes this guy that says, "How many of you boys want to be men?" Ooh. I said, "I thought I already was." He says, "Only men join become paratroopers." You just get to jump out of airplanes, and oh, by the way, now I was making one hundred and nineteen dollars a month as a private, right? How'd you make one hundred nineteen? I was only, you got well, you got in before I did. When I, I was I, the I told, I told you, I told you, I was special. <laughs> That's right, you. That's were. special ed. I wore a helmet, so that so, <laughs> with tank helmet, tank helmet, tank I don't, helmet. Yeah, what am I saying? I get in trouble for that. <laughs> so 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 I I went I went to jump school and got assigned to the eighty second, right? Yeah. And they and they they said, your MOS is tanks and you're an airborne. <laughs> Right, so they put me in the cab, right? Recoil, sure. Recoilless rifle jeeps, and and this is the peace note. There's no war on. Since, this is oh, by the way, what year does this? 1963. There's okay. there's no war. Yeah, no. Okay? And and I'm ju- I'm just trying to get through my three years so I can go back to work in a TV station. Yeah. Yeah. So so there. With thoughts of going to Europe, maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking I want to go to the 11th Armored Career Group in Germany. Yeah. Because they have all these museums and stuff I can go through and look at the you know, all this stuff, right? Travel around, look at art. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> and they only had so many jeeps and so many guns, and they said, "What the hell are we going to do with this guy?" There was like a half a dozen of us, right? Says, "I'll tell you what, we're going to send you guys to rigor school." To parachute rigging school, yeah, and so they transferred me to a six twelve quartermaster aerial supply, which rigged shoes. Now this is this was kind of an anomaly when I showed up there. I'm an airborne guy. All of us who were transferred there were all eighty second airborne, right? You all been qualified. Got to earn your jump trip, rings. That's right. Five jumps. Jump out of airplanes. Kept all your that status stuff. Yeah. alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, six twelve order, six twelve quartermaster aerial supply wasn't an airborne unit. It was all legs packing our chutes. Ooh. They didn't jump. No kidding. No kidding. Scared the hell out of me. Yeah. So, so I learned, learned how to pack a chute, and, and after a while you get, you get you know, you, you pack, they inspect it, and they tear it apart, and you pack another one, and they tear it apart and give it to somebody who's certified, right? Because yeah. they're not going to let you. Finally, they get it down to where you think, you know, we've inspected it, we think it's good, Right. Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. I think it's good. Good. Sign the book because every time one of those guys packs a chute, inside the harness is a little book that said this parachute was packed on this date by this guy. Well, no kidding. Yeah. So I signed it, and they said, on Saturday, you're going to jump it. <laughs> you want some fear? <laughs> the I packed that chute. <laughs> Your pucker factor was minus oh, zero. It was terrible. <laughs> terrible. So so then so 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 I I did that I made a couple jumps with shoots and like that and I went oh okay this isn't so bad I got this down, so then I went to heavy drop school ooh and that was a hell of a lot of fun right so we're we're dropping pallets of ammunition and trucks and jeeps and everything uh, yeah all all that stuff were they dumping we're, tanks at that point too no no no, no t- not tank, yet. we we ju- we uh, we dropped. Uh, 
so an M48 tank is a 90 millimeter gun. Really? Yeah. Okay. The recoil on a 90 millimeter gun in an M48 tank is 11 and a half inches. They took that same gun and they put it on what was called a SPAT, which is a self-propelled anti-tank gun with no armor. It's a tracked vehicle that would do 60 miles an hour. It was designed, and turn on a dime, it was designed for desert warfare. Oh. Okay. 90 millimeter gun, the recoil on it was 43 and a half inches. Yeah. Its, its range was 11 miles. Wow. So I got shipped to, uh, then I got orders for the 173rd on Okinawa, uh-huh. right? And they had spats. And, and I, I became part of a spat crew, right? And when, they sh- when we got orders to go to Vietnam, the 173rd with, with the Marine Corps, First of all, the orders came down. They got everybody. Uh, the, the 173rd was 3,000 guys, right? It's mm-hmm. a brigade. So, uh, God, I can't remember his name. That doesn't matter. The, the general. Some general. Yeah. Got us all together, and he says, hey, we're going to go do a police action. And this was in uh, April of 1965. And... Uh, we're going to go to a place called Vietnam. Nobody knew what the hell, where that was. Right? Nobody had ever heard of it, right? Yeah. We're going to go to Vietnam. He says, we'll be, we'll be back by Christmas. Don't worry about it, right? Right. So we loaded up all our spats and everything on C-130s, and a bunch of guys got on, a pl- on, a, on other planes. So like 1,500 guys got on other planes, and they, 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 they flew in. A mass airlift. You know, and the rest of us. The other 1,500 of us got on the USS Mann ship. Oh. And we went out to sea, and we went by the Philippines, and we took this cruise, six-day cruise. It was only supposed to take uh, three days, right? But Saigon Harbor was full. So they had to delay, and we just kind of cruised around for a while until there was a slot to dock. And then we went, we went to Benoit, and uh, that was the beginning of the first tour. No kidding. Yeah. Welcome to Vietnam. Yeah, it was. I it, it was. It was amazing. in 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 nineteen sixty five, May twelfth, nineteen sixty five, I took pictures uh, when we got off. I've got pictures of us on the boat and all of that stuff. Ship, yeah. not boat, right? Yeah, don't oh, slap myself. It's got a marine <laughs> sitting here. Uh, so I've got I've got I got pictures of the ship, and then and then uh, getting on the truck and. Driving through downtown Saigon out, out of the harbor area, right, and it was the most beautiful city you have ever seen. Just gorgeous. Oh yeah. People waved at us and smiled, and you know, welcome to Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yep. Yeah. So, how long our did it job, take? By the way, yes, it was officially to. Yeah, our job when we went to Benoit Air Base was not only to just guard the air base. But there were uh, Shell and SO oil re- uh, refineries all around that area, and we were to guard them. And about the first week that we were there, the Viet Cong blew up all those refineries <laughs> while we were guarding them and kind of alleviated that job for us, okay? Oh, my God. Yeah. Welcome to the war. Yeah. It was like, wow, police action, huh? Never saw anybody do it. Wow. Never saw the enemy. So at some point, 
<clears throat> you and your brother are there. Yeah. Are you like in the same squad or anything? No, 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 no. You're separate, no, right? Yeah, because yeah. Of he was family. In, uh, I, I, like I said, I was in the armor outfit. He was in engineering, and he was he was off building schools and and dams on creeks and rivers and stuff. Winning like that. hearts and minds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, at some point during that tour of duty, I remember you years ago talking about. The rubber plantations. Oh, yeah. The famous Michelin rubber tree plantation. And the combat deadly therein. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the rubber trees were all planted in just perfect order. Row, row, row. It spaced evenly apart in the whole thing. But there was a road that ran diagonally through it, which was unusual uh, for a rubber tree plantation because most of the time what you saw was a road run with a – they'd take a row out in that – and that's where the road would run, and then there'd be another one that intersected going the other way. Right. right. Well, this one ran diagonally for some reason, and uh, we went in there with our spats and uh, armored personnel carriers, which had Australian infantry in it. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. The Australians with us, and uh, they had set up a huge L-shaped ambush with uh, rocket launchers and and uh, the Russian 50 caliber machine guns. And they were poking holes in the side of the APCs. And when we went to turn the gun tubes on the spats, they would bang into the trees and knock them off their trunnion bearings and they, they became useless. No. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of guys died in there. No longer a policing action. Yeah, that's when I decided to go infantry. <laughs> Yeah, those APCs had thin skin. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and and plus the sides of the APCs are where the fuel cells are. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I haven't ridden one in a long time. Don't. No. <laughs> no, no. After advanced infantry training, I tried to avoid it at all times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I learned to stay the hell away from armor. <sighs> yeah, uh, armor. Uh, you know. I wanted to go armor because in, in Europe because I thought I would, or, or in Africa, because I thought I'd be in the desert or open terrain. Yeah. Armor in the jungle is not something you want to be involved with. No, you have so yeah. few limited options. Right, right. It's like, where are you going to die? That's, yeah. All right, so you come home. You, get, you become a civilian again for just a little while? Yeah, I moved to Hawaii. And of course, during that time, your brother was wounded severely yeah, but yeah, during a so, mortar attack, yeah, right? Yeah, so during he was out uh, with, with a crew working on, working on a project. They mortared him, and he, he, got, he got hit really bad, and they shipped him back to the States. And he spent like a year in a hospital while oh. they were trying to put him back together. And he still gets a lot. I think he's like 100% disabled. Uh he was, he's two years younger than I am, and then I've got another younger brother than him, a year younger, Bruce. He was, they wouldn't let him in Vietnam. He was in the Army in Camo in Korea during that time. Yeah, so, yeah, where were we? <laughs> <laughs> we are just talking about your brother and your career. Oh, yes, yes. So, and now you, yeah, so, you, I, you so got I, I got out. I moved to Hawaii, and uh, uh I tried things like uh, find. You ever try finding a job in Hawaii? There's three kinds of people in Hawaii. You know, <laughs> I'm serious, man. There's howlies, gamaainas, and malahinis, right? I, well, I know when you, if you're a tourist and you go to Hawaii, you're a howly. Oh, okay. Yeah, and if you live there for over two years and you integrate into the population, you become a gamaaina. Oh, very good. Okay? okay. If you're born there, you're a malahini. Okay. Oh. 
So I I was there. A right? history lesson. Hey, it's the way it is, right? So, <laughs> so, so, I'm and Howley's, which I only qualified as Howley. You're not going to find a job, right? Right. Except for like, uh, there's a place in on Oahu called Red Hill, which is the military base and housing for wives and all that stuff for guys who are overseas. And I became an encyclopedia salesman. Door-to-door encyclopedia. Americana or Britannica? Yeah. And so from door-to-door every night, I would, I would go visit these, these ladies and try to sell them encyclopedias. And I got to where I, I, didn't, like, I didn't like that. I didn't like the night work. <laughs> so, so, so there was, there was a, a, a new shopping center that they built. At the time, it was the largest shopping center in, in, in the United States, the Alamoana Shopping Center in, in Hawaii. So I got a job in a shoe store sen- selling uh, sandals to tourists, right? Uh-huh. And I learned how to sell shoes to tourists, which was like, are you kidding me? Then <laughs> seven bucks a pair and you get 10% or whatever that was, right? And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and at, at, at night, I w- I, my, one of my favorite hangouts was a place called Duke Hanamoko's Bar. And, and Duke's was a very, very famous place down in, down in, the, in, the, in this bar district next to the canal. And uh, one night I would, and what I'd do is I would go in there. I didn't have any, I, all my money went to paying rent for this place I was renting, right? So at night I would go in there and I would set up in the same place at the bar and I would draw caricatures of tourists. Wow. And, and, the, and out of that, I, I would either get 10 bucks or I would get a drink. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker. Engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Drink, or some of them would even buy me dinner, right? And that's, that's how I worked it. Wow. And how I, how I, how I spent the night. Well, one night, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there, and the bartender in there was a guy that I got to know, and he was a Vietnam veteran, he was, and he was Hawaiian. And uh, he and I got to talking, and, and he kind of set me in a, in, a, in a place really close to the door so that the tourists could see, you know, 
it was a very advantageous position. Yeah. They could see what I was doing, right? Well, I could also see right behind the bar, he had a small black and white TV set. And every night I'd, when I went in there to get something to eat, we'd listen to the news, the war news together, because every night you hear the war news. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And right on the other side of the bar was the stage. And on this one particular night, Frank Sinatra and a couple of people in a rat pack were doing a routine up on the stage. And I was, I was watching the, watching the, the, the news and Walter Cronkite came on and, and started talking about how we were losing the war and all this kind of crap. And I thought, you know what? I was there for 13 months. I never saw the enemy. They almost killed my brother. And, I, and it was in an instant. I said, I'm going back, and I'm going to kill every one of those sons of bitches I can, I can get my hands on, right? And I, I, the next morning, I got on a plane. I went back to Seattle, walked into the recruiting office, and there was the same, the same recruiter, only now he's an E7 instead of an E6. He Indeed. Said, he looked at me, and he says, what are you doing? I said, I want to re-enlist. He said, how long have you been out? I said, 11 months. He said, you're lucky. He said, had it been a year, you'd go in a private. He said, you get to go, you get to go back in at the rank he got out. Really? Yeah. He said, so you get to be an E4. Yeah. Okay. And in the peacetime army, even, even that first year in Vietnam when it started up, rank wasn't something you saw anybody making. You know? No. It was, that wasn't the mindset of the military. So, so I said, the only way I'm going to go back in is if I can do recon work. He said, i got a deal for you. <laughs> he says, I want you to take this test, right? It's yeah. an aptitude test. Well, it was an aptitude test for special forces, and I passed it. And so they shipped me to Fort Bragg, and, and I walked into the receiving center, and they said, okay, there isn't going to be another class for a couple months, so we're going to put you in the 82nd. Ooh. Back in the 82nd, right? Yeah. And so I, I got put into this friggin' company in the 82nd, but I lucked out. The company commander, who was a captain, was was um, was Special Forces. Really? Yeah. And and he, and when I came in, he says, is this your second? You know, he's looking at my file, right? He said, yeah. your second enlistment, what's going on with you? He said, <laughs> you, you got out? And I said, yeah. And I said, and I, so I told him the story. Yeah. And he says, you, and you really want to go into Special Forces, right? And I said, yeah. And he made a phone call. And a couple of days later, I was over in training group. No kidding. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And that's where I met uh, uh, Bob Gullett and a bunch of other guys. And wow. we went through training group together. And then I showed up and, at FOB1. And yeah. <laughs> so... But the timing on that was, so this is 67 now? No, uh, no this is uh, early 68. Okay. Yeah, well, wait a minute. You're right. That was 67. Maybe the end of 67. Yeah, yeah, yeah the end of 67. Then training group yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, um, then you wind up in Vietnam in June or May of 68? It was May, yeah, and, and hung around Natrang being climatized and all that crap, and they were— <laughs> And finally, they, they called a bunch of us in and said, you guys have orders for SOG. And like, what the hell is that, right? And so yeah, yeah. you know what happens after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, for, uh, for the future readers of uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, there's really some well-written stuff in there about how you go up for your first briefing, and you're like, oh, 
I want to run recon, but they're talking about the stuff like clerking, and I don't want to be a clerk. Yeah. I want to run recon. Right. They how they come around, come around with yeah. these different new yeah. fact during your briefing, then finally at the end, it's top secret. And you yeah. go, oh, maybe there's some work that I could like here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I suggest be sure to get the book, as Jocko would say. <laughs> <laughs> so you wind up at Fubai. That's where we get together. Yeah. Uh, Learn how to play liar's dice. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I lost some money on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but it was some of the best debriefings you ever had, right? Indeed. Yeah. We, we learned more at the clubhouse than anywhere else, talking mm-hmm. for our seniors like McGovern, Spider, yeah. Mandolin. Yeah. yeah. And then um, over time, they, sh- they shut it down. We go down to um, CCN. Of course, we had the Christmas Day mission, yeah. which you wrote about a little bit in your, in your book, mm-hmm. which was... Uh, a short-lived target, and uh, but we got in there together, you, me, and Bubba, with mm-hmm. uh, Hep, Fook, and Sal. Mm-hmm. Not in the ground too long because we were compromised. Yeah. Had to leave. Yeah. And we were, you're literally, we had two firefights. Mm-hmm. One, we were shooting at the NVA, mm-hmm. and you and Bubba were fighting the fire coming up the mountain right. with C4. Right, trying to blow the fire back down back the mountain. Back down yeah. the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you see that in firefighting all all the time, where they where they set either set backfires or right. literally set explosives to to clear a path so that you know a fire break is what you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were trying to create a fire break, but it's really hard to do in in elephant grass, as you know. In the elephant grass, when it's winds coming up uh, the hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the NVA standard. <laughs> WTF? Yeah, uh, not, not so. We, we to this day we bow to uh, Captain King B oh, pilot Captain yeah. Tuong. Yeah, who created the firebreak for us? Indeed. Yeah. Yes, when he hovered over us and That's we right. jumped on the helicopter and we lifted off. Yeah. Whoosh. Yep. God came in and saved us. Now you, yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. Captain Tuong, our that, King B God. That's right. And then in your case, you had singed eyebrows. Oh yeah. Burnt hairs. Yeah. Because you and Bubba oh, right down. Yeah, in. we got right down into it. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That was just another day, but that was our time out in the field. Of course, yeah. that was like what a week or so after we had our historic mission in the DMZ together, mm-hmm. where we get off the helicopter, we get inserted the point man's son. Uh, we thought he broke his ankle. Yeah. And we had bad weather, but they found a hole. They put us in. And we told them, the point man, just we think he may have broken his ankle. Mm-hmm. So send it came back to at least pick him up so we can continue on with the mission. Yep. And the less than cooperative Covey pilot, some yeah. lieutenant that must remain anonymous. Yeah, continue mission. Some yeah. little guy with no neck. We will not mention his name further. Okay, fine. Continue the mission, he said, but... We knew the harsh reality was we couldn't. Within an hour or yeah. two hours, did we start getting rained on? Right. Which led to at least I don't know about you, but in my case, that was the longest, coldest five days that, of my life. That was cold, and you were eternally wet <sighs> and freezing. Yeah. That was that was nasty. Yes, it was. Because you go from temperatures of 105 to 100, even if it's just 60, yeah, it feels like dead of winter. You know, that's that's actually an interesting point because that's that's something we all suffered from, especially at Da Nang, coming from that sea level where temperatures are over 100 degrees, right, into those mountains, and I mean it 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 froze. You you froze up there, and and there's no uh, climatization that can that can. Allow that to happen. I mean, it, it takes a lot out of you. Well, yours truly was the one zero on that mission, 
and I faithfully stayed behind to maintain radio contact where I fearlessly sent you, Rick Estes, Tuon, yeah. and uh, maybe Hepper Sal. Yeah. Because you guys went out every day yeah. doing your little probes. And, of course, at night we heard Buku NVA yeah. going through the valleys. Right, right. And it was a very tenuous position. Yeah. So we couldn't have any fires. Yep. And, uh, and Lily, every attempt, they, the spider, those guys flew by. Hey, you're still socked in. We can't see the mountain you're on. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. God, it was cold. Waited out. Indeed. Yeah. But eventually, there was a little break in the sky. Covey came by, and he took some rounds. As soon as he heard some enemy fire, or he heard gunfire of some sort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We confirmed that there was gunfire and that there were enemy present. Yeah. Not that the enemy fired, but there was gunfire. <laughs> so get us out of here, sir. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they finally did. Yep. They so that did. was prior to our Christmas mission. So that's part of our bonding. Yeah. And the uh, You earned the respect of everybody on Idaho. Of course, by that time, they all knew who the heck you were anyway. And uh, so we all go down to CCN together. We get greeted down. Oh, that's one of my favorite stories. Because we flew down on the helicopter, the RT Idaho. Mm-hmm. But you and Sergeant... Or respect for Mike Krawcheck. Yeah. It's one yeah. of our favorite sidebars that people don't think about. But you had to drive from Fubai, right. go down the High Van Pass right. to get to FUB4 or CCN. Right. right. And that was a dangerous ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how many and times did you and Mike do this? We only we only made that drive one time. But it, it's so High Van. It's so historic. Though. Well, High Van Pass. <laughs> uh, it was uh, that was Highway One that ran right right in front of the camp there, right? Yeah. And you go up High Van Pass, and it, and it was the most dangerous path in all of pass in all of Vietnam. Really. And there were uh, uh, there was a Marine detachment up on the hill uh, above it that that every night got got. When we got flew control. over, we always saw it, but I didn't want to yeah. drive that thing. Yeah. Well, we used to make. Well, uh, when, I, when I first got to FOB1, we made supply runs. And I always drove a five-ton wrecker because we'd load that sucker up with supplies in Da Nang and then drive it back over. So you leave early in the morning, you get into these convoys, right? And they're armored convoys, and you go up over this thing, and you're always being attacked and shot at and stuff oh. like that. And I, I did that two or three times. So finally, when they closed FOB1, uh, Mike and I got this assignment to uh, empty out the ammunition and explosive bunkers. Really? Yeah. And so what we did was we packaged everything up that could be shipped to CCN. Yeah. And they came in with helicopters and, and, and all of that kind of stuff and hauled that off. And then there was some stuff that they decided we're not shipping this anywhere, like cases of dynamite. That literally dynamite, which the military hadn't used since the French Revolution, that <laughs> that had been sitting in this at, at in the same place for probably twenty years, right? Really? Well, if you if dynamite is nitroglycerin in sawdust, Ooh. and it had and it was sweating, and it, and it, and if if you jostle it, it'll go off. And oh it, yeah. Okay. So Mike I learned and, about that in, in the westerns. How it, dangerous it, nitroglycerin it, it, exactly. was. Exactly. So. Mike and I took blankets and we put them in a, the bed of a three-quarter ton truck and we 
put these things in there and take them out to the range and set them down and shoot 40 millimeters at them, you know, and we did yeah. this like for two or three weeks. Finally got every everything everything emptied out and it was the last night. And remember, remember the Jeeps that we stole from the Marine Corps and from the Air Force? We expropriated. Oh, excuse me. Yes, yes, That's right. Yes, yes, yes. Five-finger discount and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, <laughs> so uh, all those Jeeps were still sitting in the motor pool, all the Jeeps and the three-quarter ton trucks and stuff, no. right? Yeah. They left all that behind? We'd, yeah, they were to be left, left behind, right? We could have used one of the recon company. We had one. I, that's, that's the story. So... So Mike and I and, a, and uh, a couple other guys were sitting in the bar. This was the last night of FOB1 when the bar was open. And they still had most of the, most of the booze on the bar, right? And uh, the bartender, God, I wish I could remember. John that Peters. Uh, was it Peters? John was running the club. Okay. He helped close okay. it down. Okay. Yeah. So, so I said, uh, how much for, a, for, a, for a, uh, a case of whiskey? He said, 20 bucks, which is MPC, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So he gives me a case of whiskey, and, and uh, Mike gets gets a couple cases of beer, and he says, what are you, what are you, what are you guys doing? I said, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to go to to Da Nang. It's, it's night, <laughs> right? You, nobody, nobody drives over High Van Pass at night. You, you're going to die if you do this, right? So we go out and we get in the Jeep for the picture of you and I in that Jeep yeah, yeah. with the minigun in the back. Right. Right. So we put all that crap in there, and I uncorked a bottle of whiskey, and Mike puts a, puts a case <laughs> of beer and starts opening beers, and we head out over High Van Pass, and we get up over there. And, you know, you go past the leper colony, and you get up the High yeah. Van Pass, come down the other side, and there's this roadblock just outside of Diné, right? And w- by that time, we are drunk on our butts. Your courage has been... And wearing our berets, <laughs> no ID, <laughs> right, in a stolen Jeep. <laughs> and we get stopped by the Marine Corps. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's on this bridge going in, right? Yeah, yeah. And so this this uh, officer comes out, you know, and he starts, you know, who the hell are you and all this? What are you doing driving at night on this road? Starts chewing us out. And he said, what do you got in there? He says, okay, you two guys get out of the Jeep. So he makes us get out of the Jeep and walk around front where the lights were. And he's he's looking at us. And by the time we turn around and look back, all that booze is gone out of the Jeep so fast. Those damn Marines are a bunch of thieves. You know that? So, so he, he pulls <laughs> <laughs> he pulls us. He says, you guys pull over right here. And he says, you're staying here tonight. I'm not letting you drive drunk into Da Nang because Da Nang's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> if you just come down the high van yeah. Really? It is? Oh, gosh. So <laughs> so we, the next morning we, we wake up, and, and that's actually where my book ends, is we, we drove into the CCN compound right. and drove into the motor pool, and then uh, he and I walked over to Recon Company and— the sergeant major says, "You did what, <laughs> McIntyre? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah." He says, "You did what? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah." And he said, "What? What do you know how to do?" And I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Weren't you the guy who's a tank driver?" <laughs> no. Yeah, and and I said, "Yeah, I know how. I know how to drive track vehicles." He goes, "Good, come with me." Oh. So, so. We we go out 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 now. This I haven't written this right. Right. So we drive out of the CCN compound, make a right, go down the road, and there's a CB camp down there, right? Yeah. 
and he and he he goes up to this guy that commands the CB camp, and he and he says, uh, "Can we borrow a D6 cat from you?" This guy knows how to drive it, right? <laughs> and he, and this this officer looks at me. He says, "Do you realize that? Oh yeah, I drive tanks. I've I've driven all kinds of track vehicles. A lion through my teeth, right?" Of course. And. <laughs> So we, he says, okay, here's how you turn it on. Here's how, you know, here's how everything works out. Okay, great. Get it, get it up and running. And out we go and go back to CCN. And you know all those sandbags? Yeah. And all of that terraforming of the sand that's around recon company? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did that. We, we, had, we had this big shovel thing, and we, we, we hooked up this little thing to fill sandbags, and we were filling them. The guys were stacking them up next to the hooch. Yeah, I was, we were there filling the damn sandbags. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I forgot about you on the bulldozer. Yeah, yeah. That, I didn't have to fill any of those damn sandbags. Oh, you're busy lifting up the that, sand. Yeah, I was busy drinking oh, beer on the right. D6 cat. Yeah. That's. Oh, <laughs> then we God. returned it, and then we had to go to work, right? Oh, my God. Just another dance hog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It you never a, know. It was tough. It was indeed. <laughs> yeah, when's the laundry girl come? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I like to get back to a couple animal stories, but my, one of my all-time favorite ones, and one of the ones that that Jocko particularly enjoyed, was the time that you RT Idaho gets inserted really deep. I think the target was Charlie Nine. Yeah, something like maybe that. Maybe Charlie. I forget. But you guys are deep. Right. You're on the ground for a day. Mm-hmm. Within a day or two, you feel like you're being tracked. Yep, we had trackers. on. Yeah, trackers. Yeah, not good. No. So it, you it, go to day three. You're still being tracked. Yeah. At some point, I forget what the exact date was, but at the you just got tired of it. Yeah. Came at, to the morning. And so they, they were so unusual, these, yeah. these trackers, because we'd move and then stop to listen, right? Yeah, right. Well, we could hear a slight movement, and then they would stop. And we'd wait and wait and wait. We'd move and stop, and they would stop. I mean, it was like, wow, this is real. How did they, these guys are really good. You know, how do, yeah. how do you lose them? How do we get <laughs> How do we get out of this? And finally, we got up on the side of this hill. Go ahead. I'm sorry to mean that. Well, no, that's perfect. So you're there inside of the hill, and you just said, we've had enough. You turned around, yeah, so pulled pins on your grenades. Yeah, we, we, there was a, a, a B-52 bomb crater up there, and it got everybody in, in on the perimeter. We went, okay, you suckers. When, and it was kind of a, a clearing because it had been arc-lighted, right? And we had just come out of the jungle and gone up. I wanted to be in a high place, right? Sure. So we figured that they were going to come t- come out of the jungle at us right and we were ready we were ready and those orangutans came out of that jungle orangutans yeah <laughs> they had been following us around just out of curiosity for three days <laughs> and we would we did everything we th- we set up ambushes we did this we did that they they screwed with us for three days and finally just kind of sat down there and looked at us right <laughs> Didn't at some point you get into some hand gesturing? Yeah, we did. Yeah. You ever seen an orangutan give you the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, only if you do it first. But they will mimic you. They, they mimic the hell You out. started where you just had a scratch and he did something, right? <laughs> then, you, then it progressed from there. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It, it, just, it was like, I hope nobody in camp ever hears this story about how great we are walking in the jungle. You know? <laughs> If this gets out, we've, we're done. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be washing pots and pans in the mess hall for the rest of the time. So um, 
And one of your other famous encounters with uh, living creatures was um, some type of frogs that you had. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'd forgotten about their the few words they did speak. Yeah. So in the dead of night... You're, we're, you're now in Laos. Yeah, we're, 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 we're in Laos. We're, on we're, we're, we're on a mission. We're, 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 we're just dead tired. And we, we've, you know, we've, we've got a guy out on guard, and the rest of us are trying to get a little shut-eye. And all of a sudden, we hear this, fuck you, fuck you. And it's like, what the hell? And, and, it, and it's a frog. It's a really big frog. And rather than croak, it makes this sound that, I swear to God, it sounds like, fuck you. <laughs> one, of, one of the Vietnamese put his knife through it. He goes, shut up. What are you doing? <laughs> Uh, and was there any other monkey stories? Because you guys, you meaning uh, Idaho, when I was back at Fort Devens, you did some special training up on uh, one of the mountains outside of, uh, I don't know if it was Monkey Mountain? No, I don't, I don't know what that place was called. There was, uh, at, at CCN, you're, you're right at the edge of the China Sea. You're on the China Sea there. Right. And about a couple miles offshore is this little, little island that rises up it's got a peak, right? Yeah. And and uh, we we we'd hire sampans when we got had some off time, and they'd ferry us out there, and we would we would uh, go on go on shore. We'd go up over the mountain, and then come down into this beautiful lagoon. I mean, it was a, just a picturesque place, like something out of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there were there were some monkeys that lived on that island. And uh, they were uh, com- ve- they were very combative, really. And yeah, so so when you knew when you got off, you could hear them. They'd start chattering, right? And once you got up into the jungle, they they would throw throw rocks at you. They would they would attack you with clubs, right? And they were like three and four feet tall. They come at you with the clubs in yeah, hand, or yeah, just oh, throw yeah, the club yeah. at you? No, no, no. They they'd come at you. And 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 uh, they especially the Vietnamese because the Vietnamese were about their size, right? <laughs> so, so we 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 this one time we were going up over there and the monkeys started screwing with us. So one of the guys shot it, and and uh, they cut it up and stuffed it in a rucksack, and we went back over, got down in this lagoon, and they they cleaned it up and skinned it out and stuff and. Build a fire. And Some monkey st- meat. Yeah, and just started cooking this monkey meat. They said, "Hey, this stuff you're gonna like this, Black. This <laughs> this stuff's really good." Well, we're, we're 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 sitting there, and this huge sea turtle comes out of the lagoon, starts coming up on up up up, up into the sand. Pete is not gonna like this. Okay. <laughs> Digs away, lays all these eggs, covers them up, and. The guys on the team flipped that, flipped it over, <laughs> and killed it, and no. th- and then and then uh, hauled out a bunch of spices and stuff out of their rucksacks, right? Yeah, and they put it on a fire. Really? Yeah, to cook it, right, with this monkey meat, right? And so we threw it. Then uh, uh, this is Letourneau's fault. I, it wasn't mine. I had nothing to do. Clearly, with it. clearly. Yeah, if this. I had nothing to do with this explosion. He he threw a grenade in a lagoon, and all these fish came to the top. So we had now we had fish, monkey meat, turtle meat, and we they dug up those eggs, turtle eggs. Oh God, they're so good. 
So, so, so we're sitting there. Friday over easy. We're, we're, we're taking a li- living the life of Riley. There's, what could go wrong? Yeah, nothing. Not, uh, it, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody's going to screw with us. And here comes the Marine Corps with an LST. And they come out there, and there's a bunch of guys, and they think that we're the enemy. Because you got all those Vietnamese with weapons. Yeah, because who else would be out there? Nobody in their right mind would be out there on this deserted island, right? So they think it's an <laughs> enemy stronghold, and they're going to storm the island, right? And finally, we got you know we got everything calmed down, get you know talked about it, and all that stuff. And they go, "How long are you going to be here?" And I get, "Oh, a couple more days." <laughs> well, we're gonna we'll, we'll keep patrolling to make sure you're safe. Oh, okay. Thank you, Marine Corps. Well, they had a couple of guys from National Geographic on board. Ooh, who were really? filming filming yeah. some things, right? And so they wanted to know if they could stay with us while we were there and ride back into sandpans. We said, sure, why not? So these guys get off and they they're they're looking at this all this food, and we're you know we get we're all laid out and the stuff and they go, wow, we're kind of hungry. So oh here have dinner with us, right? So they're sitting there. One of the guys is eating some of the monkey meat. And he goes, God, what is this? this is so good? <laughs> And we told him, it's monkey meat. That guy went nuclear. He says, oh, my God, are you kidding me? He said, this is the only known place in the world that this monkey even exists. They're, they're, they're almost extinct, and you're eating them. You're killing these monkeys. Are you friggin' crazy? Right? Like, oh, man, he just went on and on. You get tired of that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so finally, everything, everybody gets calmed down. They go to bed, right? And they, we, we're sleeping. We know everybody sleeps, no guards, because we know they're, we're, yeah. the Marines are protecting us. Yeah, that's right. So, next morning we wake up. Doug says, "You know we ought to we ought to recon up the hill." <laughs> and I knew immediately what he had in mind. Right? I said, "That's a good idea, Dougie." <laughs> so we put the photographer and and the other guy as point, right? Right. And said, we're here, we're going up the hill, and you guys can take your pictures. You don't want any GIs in your pictures. Yeah, you no, know? I don't want to so, clutter So we'll up. just kind of fan out, and we'll, you know, if anything happens, we'll protect you, right? The monkeys stoned the crap out of them. <laughs> Boy, they just, <laughs> that night, we were back in camp, and this guy that was making all the noise yeah, yeah, about yeah. you, he's sitting there, and he's kind of bruised up and stuff, <laughs> and he goes... You got any more of that damn monkey meat? <laughs> he says, screw these monkeys. <laughs> but, you know, that brings, that brings to mind the uh, first time that you went on a training mission with uh, ST oh, Alabama. Yeah, Tim Schaff was a 1-0. Tim Schaff was a 1-0. Yeah. And uh, Alf, on that mission, could there... We had other teams that had gone out. There's another island mm-hmm. that was off the coast somewhere. Yeah, I want to say that was... Closer to Fubai. Yeah, I want, yeah, you go across the Perfume River, and I want to say it was Hontre Island, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Because fortunately, I never had to train there. But you were blessed to go out there. Oh, yeah. In late September, right yeah. before October 5th. Yeah. But Tim Schaff, who was a highly respected uh, team leader... Yep. So he's the one zero. I guess your one one was the one one from. Yep. Yep. And then you're the you're the radio guy. Right. And they go out. So the idea is we're going to do a practice mission here because we're going to get a real mission real yeah, soon. Yeah. Yeah. Want to bring the team together. Right. Because Alabama, if you remember, 
it was a newly formed team. They had been wiped out in early 68. Right. And so all these guys hadn't really, they knew each other, but they hadn't really worked together. And and all of us Americans were new to them. So we, sure. we need to come together as a... And you had experience one zero. Yeah. Who knew yeah. somebody in Did, he, yeah. and he knew you. Right. And you guys had worked together, so he was just highly respected. So yeah. you... Uh, the King Bees took you out in right. Syria. You right. had your first day mission. Yeah, you see so, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, on, on the first day we were walking up and the it's hill. Hilly. And and Point and Point ran into a wasp nest. Oh. And just got covered in wasps, and we had to get a King Bee to come in and medevac him out. Right. Right. Yeah, and so it was, con- you know, okay, we're here, we're here training. There aren't, there's no enemy here, so we're going to keep. You working. didn't realize there were NVA bees. They were. Yeah. Yeah. They had those little pith helmets on. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, and AK, little tiny AK-47s, bastards. That were the stingers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's getting weird here. It is. <laughs> so, so it's, it was continued training, right? So, so we kind of, you know, went up in RO end, and the next day we kind of walked up along this ridge line up on the, up on the t- uh, top of the mountain, and and we stopped, and it was like in, uh, it was like let's say. Two, three o'clock in the afternoon, right? And we're, mm-hmm. and we're sitting up on, on, on the top of this thing, and we're looking down across this beautiful bay and sandy beach, and the Vietnamese all decide that we're going to go swimming. So they start having this conversation with, with Tim about, look, we've been out here working hard. We, you know, we all like each other. We're doing really well. Why don't we go down to the beach and relax, right? So... Tim goes, yeah, why not? You know, that's one of the other things in leadership is to pull everybody together during a relaxing time. Indeed. We'll just have fun. <laughs> so we kind of go down through there and, you know, get down on the we're, – we're, we're headed down towards the bush and we're – or the beach, and, and there's we're in kind of an open area, kind of an open area, about as flat as this room, and with, <laughs> with, with, with a couple of bushes. And all of a sudden, Cowboy goes – VC, VC. And Tim looks over and he goes, oh, my God, and there's three guys with AK-47s, you know, and they go over and right. they get behind this bush. And the <clears throat> next thing I know, Tim's open fire on them, right? And everybody gets online and 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 he's Tim is an excellent 1-0. Oh, mean, yeah. He was very aggressive to get rid of that problem. Well, while we're doing that, they had moved in on the hillside that we had just come off of, and they're firing down on us, right? And they have uh, AKs, SKSs, heavy machine guns. And they had more friends showed up. Yeah, and, and we're, we're out in the open uh, with, with the Perfume River on one side, right? And they literally pushed us into the, in, into the river, which dumps into the sea there, right? And we were, I was chest deep in the Vietnam. Really? Yeah, which was the, the Vietnamese uh, were like underwater. And so they're climbing up on me and Tim and, and, uh, and uh, uh, the 1-1. One, one. And they're, they're to just to stay alive, right? And, and nobody can really return fire. So I get on the radio. <laughs> no king bees. No king, no, no, king bees go home. Too late in the day. They're not. No, no 101st. No, no, there no helicopters. Scarface is we, we don't fly at night, right? You're really close to dark, or was there still some light left? Yeah, it was, it was, there was light. Yeah. We had about an hour's worth of light, right? So I go into my vest and I 
pull out this radio frequency from a guy that I had met in a bar, oh. and he's in the Navy, right? So I dialed up on the, on the Prick 25, and I dialed that frequency, and I says, I got an emergency in this, and all of a sudden, yeah, what, where are you, what are you what's, what's going on? And I told them, and they show up with these two airboats, and they had quad 50s, mortars, M60 machine guns. Whoa. Yeah, and big, huge suckers come. He said, we're, we're, we're 20 minutes out, hang on. Okay, and here they came roaring up wind, and they were offshore, and they said, can you, can you get on board? Well, no, you can't, because the skirt on it, you can't climb up over it. Right. right? So they have to go up on the land. So they did. They went up on the land, and they were just shooting the shit out of that hillside, and 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 every everything around. You us, gave them good targets, and, right? Yep. And and every and they just settled down, just turned everything off. We got on board. They popped back up and out to sea. We went and down the river and back to back to Fubai. No. Yeah. Whoa. Navy saved our ass. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. That was impressive, though. That that really. Oh, that is. Yeah. Oh my God. And so, um, one of the, th- the other things I, I, I didn't want to forget about was, you know, one of our major problems during our time of running operations was always being compromised from different levels. Yeah. And you and the Frenchman had the classic one of the classic examples of a team in the field being compromised yeah. when. At first, the Frenchman's your radio operator because you're the right. one zero. Right. And this, would, again, would be maybe August, September of 1669. Mm-hmm. And somebody comes up on the radio and says, RT Idaho. Yeah. We know where you are. Here are right. your six-digit coordinates. Yeah. They knew our names. And they knew yeah. that just you and Doug, because seven days earlier— the other guy who we don't want to talk about had left the team to right. go back. Right, right. And they they knew your t- they knew that. Yeah. So a that's your intel report. Yeah. But b then at some point you go, Doug, who's on? What's going on in the who, radio? Who are you talking to, Doug? Yeah. Yeah. yeah why, and why are you talking to somebody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's RDF out here. Yeah, I didn't tell you to talk to anybody, Doug. <laughs> But our loquacious Laterno yeah, just yeah. can't just can't hang up. Oh, I'm talking to a guy with a Spanish accent. Give me a break, Doug. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who is this? Yeah, yeah. So at some point, you had direct combo with him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah we were we you know and he like he said he he knew our names he knew the team. Uh, he knew within uh, six-digit coordinates where we were, and I went, "Oh, really? Is that a, is that a fact?" Whipped out the map, whipped out the compass, said, "Here's here's exactly where we are, you son of a bitch." You gave me eight digits. Yeah, I gave him eight-digit coordinates, <laughs> and I said, "I'll wait for you here. Come and get me." And meanwhile, I'm thinking, "How the hell am I going to get out of this one?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I think we're in deep kimchi here, boy. But you had was, high ground. Yeah, we did. We did, yeah. And that, but I and and it was like, oh God. So, meanwhile, back at the ranch, we're going cubby, cubby, cubby. <laughs> yeah, prairie fire. Yeah, compromised by a Cuban. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's just serious. Didn't didn't you talk a little bit about his mother? It, yes. Yeah, I called him a, a very bad name, and told him that things I had done to his mother to get him excited, to <laughs> get him to show himself. Right? They, they they never showed up. No, no. 
<laughs> I think he was calling his mother to see if it was true, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Mom, is that you? <laughs> and then, of course, Dorn, uh, well, okay, so getting back to your career wrap here. Mm-hmm. You leave Idaho in January or February of 69, then they give it to some knucklehead from New Jersey. But you went off, and you had some special assignments for a while. Didn't you take a break and then came back mm-hmm. yet again? Mm-hmm. Could you talk just a little bit about what that time when you returned was, or other than I was working top secret shit that I can't talk about? I was working top secret shit I can't talk about. When did you get out of the Army after that top secret shit you can't talk about? <laughs> when did I get out of the Army? Yes, sir. Uh, I, in uh, July of 1970. Oh, July? Yeah. All right. So you go back to the States? Yeah. But this time you go to Channel 5 instead of Channel well, 4? Well, yeah. So I went back to Channel 4, and it had been sold. No. Yeah, and they didn't honor any agreement. Like, You're <laughs> kidding me. Nobody would say anything like that. Get out of here, right? So <laughs> so I went down the street, literally, and uh, Channel told them who I was, and, and uh, they said, yeah, we remember you. You know, what do you want? I want a job in the art department. And they went, okay, fine. And so I went in as a designer. No kidding. Yeah. And I, I did that for a couple of years. Then I started my own business called Media Design. And I, I designed uh, all of the kitchen shows, news sets, stuff like that for around the area for a while. And uh, that's, that's where I met my wife, Judith, was doing that. Indeed. And, and, so what year is this now? Oh, God. Because you've been married a couple of days. Yeah. I want to say 75, something like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so I've worked there. And, I, and uh, in the art business, as an individual, when you're creating a look, you do that out of your personality. And pretty soon you begin to repeat yourself because that's what... That's who you are. It's who you are that shows up in your drawing and your paintings. Okay? Really? Yeah. And okay. so everybody in town began to look the same. <laughs> and business began to diminish, and they began to outsource down into California and stuff like that, right? And about that time, I get a, uh, I just said, you know what? I really ought to go to school because I, I had just had a high school education. Yeah. I said, I ought to, I ought to go to a junior college and maybe get a BA in something, you know, and learn how to be a smart guy. And so I signed up for all these art and painting classes in Highline Community College and said, screw the rest of the stuff. And I, and, uh, I was out there, and, uh, and uh, the instructor came up to me. I was taking a summer class. I'd been out there a couple of years, and, and this painting instructor walked up, and he said, hey, I'm moving uh, to Ireland. And it, it, we were in a, a printmaking class, and we had like another month to go. And he said, uh, just take over this class. And he said, I'm leaving. I'm moving. And so I started that printmaking class and uh, or, or finished it up. And uh, just before the end of that, Channel 11, which was KTS, no, wait, no, it was uh, KTNT, was owned by the uh, Tacoma News Tribune. They sold to a company in Texas, and they, they fired almost everybody out of, the, out of the Tribune that worked in the TV station. 
And they brought in all of these people from Texas and out of California, and they needed an art director, so they offered me the job as art director. And I became the, and I went to work doing that. And, uh, and uh, uh, after, after a couple of years of doing that, what I saw was um, the business changed so dramatically that I didn't, I didn't want to be involved in it anymore. Really? Yeah. And so the, here's, here's I, I don't know if you're interested in this or not. How, how, yeah, this how is your story. Okay, so, so at, when I went to work at 15 in television, right. it was still black and white. Ooh. Okay? Sure. There, there were no pre-recorded shows. They didn't have that ability. The technology hadn't been invented yet. Okay? Wow. So everything was live. And they had two studios, and and while they were doing a show in Studio A, we'd be setting up in Studio B, and while they were doing B, we'd tear down and set up in A, and that went 24 hours a day in that 11-man department that that I was in to keep them on the air, plus do all their advertising and all of that kind of stuff, right? Well, that was the first time. It was before I joined the service, right? So when I got out and went to work at Channel 5, they were transitioning to color, and they had tape machines. Ooh. Okay? Yeah. Well— The big bulky ones. Yeah. So, so the people who worked at Channel 4 all came out of—they were actors. They came out <laughs> of the theater. They came out of motion pictures. They knew how to mem- quickly memorize lines and stand up in front of a camera and do things live on TV. And there are some funny, funny stories about that, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Well, so when I went to Channel 5, they had tape machines, and the only, the only shows that were live were, were like uh, the news was live, and the cooking shows were live. And everything else, they, they taped in advance and then played, played back later. So the art departments shrunk. Shrunk considerably and a lot of what we used to do became technology oriented which went which migrated into the engineering world right sure and i didn't want to be in the engineering world who the hell wants to be that kind of an idiot right without c4 computers and shit no c4 yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. can't get in any trouble so (laughs) so so i kind of went yeah so in channel 11 then when they came in with that from that texas company they had all the modern stuff Right, so I got them set up with their look and you know the whole thing like that, and and uh, there was there was a, a regional look that there, there at that time not everything looked the same, but there was a Pacific Northwest feel at, at the stations. It had to do with your colors that you used for sure. sets and stuff, mm-hmm. and the way people dressed and the, and the way people spoke right well they brought in people out of california and the east coast and stuff like that and the west coast went away it was erased the whole pacific northwest was gone i watched it happen really yeah and and one day i was up on up on a ladder in a studio hanging lights for a car commercial and i went screw this i quit and i got down and i went home and I said, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore. This isn't any fun, right? Just sure. Yeah. So I kind of walked around banging on walls for a, a, a few months or so and uh, finally got a job at Seattle Art selling art supplies to artists. 
right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing that. And, oh, God, there's uh, just all kinds of things. And finally, That's not too exciting. One, one Saturday morning, this guy from uh, Seattle Art Walks in. I said, I know that guy. Who the hell is he? Where do I know him from? Well, he was the program manager at Channel 4 in the 60s. And he said, hey, I run the motion picture TV unit at Boeing. And he said, no. yeah, and he said, I need you to come and work for me because nobody knows how to do what you do at Boeing. Right. <laughs> so I went and helped Boeing set up their animation department. So what and, year was this, Lynn? Oh, 1979. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So so we did. Uh, we And because I had a security clearance right from sure. the military. So I worked on classified programs where, like the B-1 and B-2 bomber programs and stuff like really? that. Really? Yeah. Where we did films for Congress. Sure. Yeah. And and they were every month we had to produce a 15-minute film showing progress. They're called progress reports. And went, went, went through doing that. And just then the Boeing thing kind of evolved into, I got, went into art groups after that. <laughs> and and, be, and uh, somehow somebody thought I should be a manager. So Ooh. I became a manager of art groups, uh-huh. and uh, and and uh, I looked at all of these artists who were painting with brushes and all of this kind of stuff. And there was there was some new products called Genographics. You ever heard of Genographics? Uh, GE came out with uh, do you use do you use digital art programs? You ever used one? He does. He's a skilled well, professional. Okay. Yeah. So. So Genographics was the first digital art program, but it was in this huge friggin' console machine that you kind of burrowed <laughs> yourself into like the alien, right, to produce yeah. this stuff. $65,000 a machine is what they cost. So, so I, I, and, and uh, the GE built those for Playboy magazine to do all of their magazine stuff, right? Yeah. And so we went to Playboy and went went through all of the demonstrations and all this stuff, and I made a presentation, and we brought Genographics into Boeing, and I started up that that department. And uh, somebody said, "Wow, this guy really knows technology. Maybe we ought to make him an IT manager." No, with a high school education, right? Right. I never of got a degree in, in anything. Who needs any? And so I just kind degree. of evolved and evolved <laughs> into this. Oh yeah, I could be an IT manager. Well, the management is, to be honest with you. Management's management. Yeah. Okay. And and ma- being a manager isn't about you. It's about your people and taking care of them and getting what they need to do their job and making sure they, you know, yada, yada, sure. yada right? So on and so forth. It's like it's the old a, days of the one zero. Only you got a few more people now. Dead on. It's a leadership <laughs> position. Yeah. Is exactly what it is. And, and I had to call on all of the skills that I learned in the service about managing people and getting jobs done. Right wow. there, yeah. and learn how to be a manager in the civilian world, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. I did that for thirty two years, <laughs> <laughs> and worked on some really fun stuff. So yeah, yeah some of some of which we still can't talk about. That and yeah, indeed. But it was fun. It's got that still has that aura. It's got that top secret aura to it. It's the way it is. But just to be able to do artwork back in the day when they're putting together the B one B two programs. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, we'd 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 uh, film that stuff and take every single frame, and blow blow it up to sixteen by twenty four, and then redesign the whole cockpit of the planes, and animate everything. Used actors to go through a script, 
and we'd design around them frame by frame. Sure. Reassemble the whole thing and shoot it on the animation stand, and you, it looked like the real deal. <laughs> I mean, good enough to fool any stupid congressman. Uh, yeah, that was easy. <laughs> you know what? One of one of the humorous <laughs> things about that, though, on on it, during those days in the uh, uh, early '80s. Cold War still roaring. Yeah. The U.S. government would not allow any colored artwork to, to be used to report out to Congress. It had to be black and white. Now, everybody in the world had already shifted to color. And it was cheaper than producing black and white because you were getting rid of all the black and white technology. Yeah, right? sure. But the people in our government believed that if you produced color, it would look expensive. And they, and they didn't want to look expensive. Oh. But it was twice. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so you wrapped up with Boeing after 32 years? Mm hmm. You retired mm -hmm. how long ago is that? 2010. 2010. Really? Mm hmm. That long ago? It seems like only a couple of days ago when I you know. and I talked about yeah. that. Yeah. So from there, you now are still doing art. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Took up painting again. Yes. Yeah. Some outstanding artwork. Where Thank can you. where can people go to find any of your artwork if they're curious? My Facebook page. You're back on Facebook? Yeah. They finally let me back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't you have a record for for banding being oh, banned every, by Facebook it, for a while? Yeah. You and your sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my it's god. It's tough being a conservative on Facebook. So. <laughs> So what we agreed was, she still isn't on there. They, they won't let her. They on. won't let Judith back. No, they won't let her back. <laughs> so, so, so I, we just don't we don't talk about politics at all. No, at all. And and uh, I I post pictures of my paintings and stuff mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. Oh, they're magnificent paintings. Yeah. So Lynn Black, uh, or is it Lynn M. Black Jr. Or that would be the correct peg oh, on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. No websites or anything yet. No, no. I, I, I know a good. I know a good IT guy you could hire. <laughs> yeah, who's that? Lynn Black. Oh, yeah, quit it. No. So I used to be on Fine Arts America when I was doing uh, 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 photography. Uh huh. Yeah, but I never got any hits to anybody to buy anything. No, nobody wanted to see pictures of cows and stuff like that. You know. So. <laughs> yeah, but now your streams uh, and your uh, nature shots. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Thanks. Well, um, before we're really. Down to that final point here, but there's just two little things. Um, one of the other things that that you and I were proud of that we never talked about much was, I guess after I came back, Sergeant Major Hobbs. I don't know if he went to you or to I probably went to you because you were the one zero. Mm -hmm. Said, "Hey, we don't have any SOG recon SOP book." Oh yeah, remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. And so at night. Well, others partied. Yeah, you and I were slaving away. Yeah, we put together drawing, and drawing after action drill pictures, and you'd write then, up how. The, well, I do a little bit of writing, but you're the one that did skill stuff for yeah. the drawing. All the, all the tactical stuff we did, yeah. and why we did it, and yeah. And to and I never saw the final product when we were in the army, but you saw it, and you said, uh, by the time the army got done with it, they standardized it. Became part of Ranger School training, is what I heard. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I never knew, and um, I, I heard that, but I don't know if that's true or not. Okay, <laughs> we'll have to call some of our old historians to find out. And then, last but not least, I'd like to close on a 
positive note because we served with many great men. Yeah, we did. One of whom was Eldon Bartwell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we were all E4s together, the FOB1. Yeah. You're on Alabama, me and uh, or I'm on Idaho, and and he was on the RT, ST Michigan. Mm-hmm. And he was just a sharp, strong, witty, yep. but no time to tolerate fools. Yeah, that's and true. And so he had a tour of duty, yep. um, went back, came back for a second tour of duty. Um, now, when, when he came back, he when, when he went back to the States, he went to OCS, right? No, I think the OCS was after his second tour. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, because after that second tour, um, he got wounded, as we know. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, one of his last missions, he was on a target, gets shot in the face, but he has his RPD, and he provided firing cover to get the whole team on. Even though he's shot in the face, he still gets his team on the helicopter and out. Hmm. Recuperated, and uh, when he was driving from somewhere to Fort Benning, we stopped by and we had dinner on the mm-hmm. New Jersey uh, Turnpike there. Got caught up a little bit. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, great guy. Oh, fast, fascinating guy. But the reason why I, I, I wanted to raise the topic was that you and I had that unique moment with him of one of his legendary stories, which was March of 1969. He took his team in, the recon team goes into a bivouac area. Right, he was in a, in a bunker complex. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Goes in, and as luck would have it, they just had stay-behind personnel there. Yeah. And so at some point... Elton's kind of quiet. They're getting intel reports. They're getting uh, um, records mm-hmm. and supplies. Mm-hmm. And so he's stacking things up. And he saw this NVA magazine holder. And the NVA at the time had magazine holder they wore on her chest. Yeah, chest Three, rigs, yeah. What do you call them? Chest, chest rigs. Yeah. Chest rigs, yeah. perfect. Yeah, there were, four, there were four slots on there. So yeah. he's doing all that. They call in for uh, one helicopter comes in to take out some of the records and stuff, and then he sees an NVA. Mm-hmm. But to stay behind, it's not like one of our right. combat trained that get, get a medal for killing uh, an American. He chases this guy. The, the guy runs into a cave, and when he's in the cave, Eldon's chasing him. He runs into a hole, <clears throat> jumped in, well, Eldon goes, I want a POW. Yeah, he jumped into the hole, took a few steps, and by that time, the guy had turned around, opened fire. Yeah. Shot Eldon right in the chest. The right. round picked him up, knocked him on his ass, and uh, but Eldon recovered, got back, went out. The next day, uh, another SOG legend, Jerry Mad Dog Schreiber, took a hatchet force in. They removed 15 helicopters wow. of intel. But the reason why I wanted to mention it was you and I had that unique moment with Eldon that night. He came back because he and a Frenchman were, were bunk mates. Right. And, and they're hooch. And they found the round. They pulled a round out of the magazine. And he came by. It was getting dark. And he came by. Hey, man, we heard you got shot. So he came in and we were talking to us for a while. And he had one of his famous lines. They later denied saying, but you're here. No, go. <laughs> yeah. He goes, he said, uh, we asked him, what did it feel like getting shot? He says, oh, man, a guy knocked me on my ass. I thought I was dead. I was lying or I thought I was dead. And I realized, if I'm thinking, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So Eldon Bartswell, for our listeners, then went on to a career of nearly 40 years. Yeah. 
He rose to the rank of two-star. He would have become a three-star, but he did not like what the assignment was they had planned for him. So like Eldon, typical fashion, quit on his terms. Mm-hmm. And then he had gone through the ranks of uh, Delta Force, decades of service there. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, it, when Jocko was in uh, Ramadi, his CO knew Eldon, Oh, and they talked about Alvin all the time. About, <laughs> this guy's crazy, but he's a hell of one hell of a tactician. Yeah. And on the civilian side, uh, my stepson was wounded August twentieth, oh five, and Alvin um, and I were in communications at the time mm-hmm. on email electronically. Mm-hmm. He was the officer in charge of all spec ops in Iraq. Mm-hmm. So I just said, "P.S. My stepson got wounded." Right back, Bing. Where is he? Well, I don't know. He's in Iraq. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't talk much. He says, "Find out." So I got the note back from Evan, what hospital he was in. He's, he's in just south of the uh, green zone. Hmm. And so Evan was in one of these, just a typical Army hospital. All of a sudden, nurses came in, started cleaning things up a little bit. And all of a sudden, he's in a new room. And that later that day, here comes a two-star general, Eldon Bargewell, prances into this hospital. Evan was in shock because he's yeah. only a PFC. Yeah, right. He tried to get out of bed because he had been wounded. <laughs> right, right. Eldon goes, sit down, sir. Yeah. I'm here to visit you. Your your stepdad told me about you. That's the kind of guy he was. Yeah. He was just going to there. So yeah. these are the quality people we met. Yeah. So uh, we guy. are, sir, at that officially point, I think. We're closing. Okay. I may have to wind up calling you back here another day for some other stories, but um, any fine points, last thoughts, cogitations, ruminations, Anything else from your side of the coin? Nope, I'm good, thanks. Well, again, we thank you. And as we wrap up tonight, we want to thank Lynn for coming in. And, um, you know, we always thank to all those that serve our country today, first and foremost. We have Border Patrol, law enforcement, and many different first responders that in these last two years have had difficult lives. And as always... Um, We want to also remember and salute the men and the women who have served but were not able to return. And we also thank men like Lynn, who has served our country with great valor over the years. And we also want to thank Jocko Willink Productions. Without Jocko's support and Saw Chronicles working together, these would not come to our audiences. And um, last but not least, um, as we said, I don't know if you said in the beginning of the show, but there are Jocko Willink podcasts that further talk, dig into the book a little bit with an interviews with Jocko's impressions on it, which is, it's Jocko reacts to the book. He loved it. And uh, then we have uh, an interview with Jocko interviewed. This is 247, Jocko episode, 247. And then Jocko episode or Jocko number podcast number 258 with Cowboy he was on the ground with Lynn that day that historic day of October the 5th and that was indeed one of the historic missions from that date during the eight year secret war where we had a saying just another day in SOG but yours are just a little bit special (laughs) but with that we thank everyone and God bless America At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. 
we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.